Girls Rules, episode three, live from Balticon. Girls Rules, we have a really special treat. As you can see, I have four fantastic women, female authors, prolific, creative, fantastic, that have actually agreed to join me today. And so please welcome, we have Philippa Valentine. Now, how foolish would I have been to be doing a live episode without taking advantage of these four women? That would have been foolish. Um, they're obviously in a constant state of creation. If any, and of course, you guys recognize and appreciate. They're always putting out fantastic and creative things, inspirational things to other women that give some of us, you know, the motivation and the um, ability to push through and try new things. So thank you for me, first of all. You're welcome. And if, if we could actually start with Mur, if you oh. would just tell where people can find you, what you're pimping right now. Uh, I can be found at murverse.com. Um, I'm pimping Her Side, which is my collaboration with J.R. Blackwell. And um, I still have a couple of copies of Playing for Keys, which was my superhero novel published in 08. And um, I am the new editor of Escape Pod, which is a free online magazine. So you can find that at escapepod.org if you like science fiction and audio. Uh, all of my stuff is available at christianellis.com. Uh, right now, my uh, most recent project is uh, Merciless Storytellers, which is a podcast-based competition for short audio storytelling. Uh, anyone can enter, um, and the prizes are bragging rights and the ad revenue from the website, which I believe is about at $6 or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so bragging rights. Yeah, yeah. Bragging Huge bragging rights. Bragging rights in a beer. <laughs> I, I'm also working with podcasting's Rich Sigfrid on Requiem of the Outcast, which we're doing a sketch, com sketch comedy once a month. And, of course, uh, I have available for sale my fantasy novel, Nina Kimberly the Merciless. I'm uh, J.R. Blackwell. I'm a writer and photographer. Um, currently, uh, Mur and I are uh, selling Her Side, which is a collaboration that we had together. Um, I am also have a small side project right now where I'm the publicist for a supervillain named Dr. Mercury. And um, I, I enjoy Dr. Mercury. <laughs> Maybe we'll be taken away. <laughs> well, I did say I'd audition for the gold case. So. Oh. <laughs> okay. uh, oh, me? Uh, I'm Philippa Ballantyne, um, author of Chasing the Bad and all that stuff. Currently peddling smut at eroticaalacat.com. And, <laughs> and uh, my next novel project is Geist, which is coming out in October. And it's. Uh, <laughs> hey, anything I say, they just start staring. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm really lucky to have the problem of knowing too many amazing, fantastic women to be able to fit at the table that I wanted to have up here. So if I could just take a moment and introduce my core girls, or my hardcore girls, <laughs> MA and PA. basically a podcast I started because of all these amazing women and these two ladies are going to be the voices you hear most often with me they're not going to be on every episode but you're going to hear one or both of them frequently um, just to kind of we we have similar likes we have a lot of different views on things we the whole point of this is to give different female viewpoints whether men want to listen whether women want to listen I like having it for my friends daughters to listen to to give them something other than Hannah Montana and Kim Kardashian to look up to let's get some real brainy smart creative women voices out there so you will be hearing them more frequently but it's my goal is a constantly rotating panel of fabulous women so that's why you know come on <laughs> now the first question I did want to present to you guys and if we could start with with Pip what are your opinions of old versus new literature um, portrayals of women as being really fragile, delicate, needing to be saved? Like how it used to be and how it is now. Oh, you mean with the, with the damsel industries? Yes. And, the, and do you see a difference or an improvement also? Yeah, I think because more women are writing, then the, the obviously the things have changed. Um, a lot of most heroines are now kick ass in various forms, not necessarily always wearing leather and kicking the shit out of men, but um, <laughs> although that is always an option, um, and just I think there's more, especially in the fantasy genre, there's more women involved, more editors, those sort of things, um, and I, because I, when I was growing up as a girl, I was reading all my dad's science fiction and fantasy, and I was always like, where are all the women, mm -hmm. <laughs> apart from the ones that are like being rescued from, you know, apes or something like that um, and it's nice to see the sort of a more feminization of you know, good strong female role models mm -hmm. you know. um, I think it's there has been progress but I'm actually amazed by how slow it's been because I think that although there's been progress there's been some great examples in the media you can pull out some fabulous examples of women uh, in great roles, um, I think we're, we're, that, that's still in the minority. I think the majority of stuff you see out there, if you were an alien and you were just watching TV that gets sent out, you would think that there were maybe like one woman for every ten men on our planet because that's what's out there in the media. You would, you would honestly think that. Um, and so in, until we start seeing in our fiction uh, an equal number of men and women, I don't think it's going to be yeah, fair or even accurate. Uh, I think part of the, the thing is that there is still clearly a market for fiction that has very passive, fragile heroines in it. And uh, those stories might have other redeeming qualities, but there's clearly some aspect of that type of female protagonist that there is a market for. Uh, and I think the Twilight books are, for example, a very good illustration of that. And uh, those stories, again, you know, may have other redeeming qualities or not. Explain them out. But uh, but the point is that clearly there are definitely people who still are wanting that type of story, and I think that's what uh, maybe 
keeping it from achieving real equality. One thing that, that bugs the hell out of me is when uh, Lost comes to mind. When, when a, a series or a book or something try, they think they're doing it right. They think they're making the strong women. But then, for example, my, my, my deal is with Kate on Lost where it's like she kills her stepfather or foster father, whoever the hell he was. I haven't seen it in years. But that's, this is one of the reasons. She kills him. And she she kills him for, for being bad to her mother. I mean, she is a, a she, I mean, this is like almost like penis cutting off thing. I mean, she's hardcore. But then she gets on the island and they're like, we're going over here. And she's like, I'm coming with you. And they're like, no, you're not. Oh. Yeah. I mean, seriously, yeah. it's like, you would think that a desert island would be the place for her to set up an Amazon war tribe. <laughs> <laughs> I would have watched Lost and wouldn't that <laughs> Yes. Really, that, that I mean, there's no me Sawyer or Jack Bone. <laughs> <laughs> that is what Kate was built up to be. And then, no, but then it just became, I'm going with you. No. And, and so it's like they tried, and then they're like, okay, well, here, she, here is where she has to step into the classic role. Like, normally she's like this, but here she has to, to fit the plot right. to, to be this wuss. Right. And I hate that. And, you know, it's, it's great that there are strides, but like JR says, we're not there yet. Yeah. And continuing with you, um, do you purposefully set out to portray strong female protagonists in your work? Because you have. With her side, with, with playing for Keith, you, you, all of you do, which is something I, one of the reasons I love your work, but is that something you said, I'm going to do this, or did it naturally occur? I'm a woman, and I've always liked play, reading fantasy and playing adventure stuff, and so my protagonists skew female, because that's, I, I, you know, it's, it's all writing has a little bit of Mary Sue involved. Yes. You know, we're all going to be like, what do I want to do? I want to have, I want to be a superhero, blah, blah, blah. And I actually, I just wrote a novella with a male main character, and that was a little bit challenging. And I know all writers should be able to do this. It should be able to switch. But um, I think I just, I'm a woman, I'm writing, and I'm also writing the stories I wanted to read when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. There's that. I mean, not that all my stuff is YA. Don, her side is about a teen. Do not give it to your child, please. <laughs> uh, but her side is interesting because that was um, created through collaboration and not that that was a totally different thing. <laughs> so uh, that's another story. But yeah, I, I think I do set out just because of who I am and what I wanted to read when when I was a kid and I couldn't find. Uh, I think it's it's largely the same for me. I, I didn't consciously decide, hmm, I need to think up a female protagonist who's strong. It's more just the characters that came to mind that interested me enough to write a story about them kind of just happened to be strong female protagonists. Um, I, I have written some stuff that does not involve, uh, or I guess does not involve only a single strong female protagonist. Uh, and I've written some stuff where, uh, at least early on, uh, the there, you might have a female protagonist who is very passive at first and then only sort of comes into a sense of responsibility for herself later. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's never been sort of a conscious decision to have like an agenda with it. It's more just a matter of those are the characters that interest me. Uh, for me, it is more conscious. Uh, like I, I do go over my stories and I say to myself, is this, is this sexist? Um, one great thing that I found out about 
writing stories and writing stories of women in them and writing stories where women are, are in uh, half the characters is that you can avoid a lot of cliches that way because that has not been done very much. So in a lot of ways, it, it, I think it, it keeps my work fresh and innovative to avoid sexism because it's just not done that often. <laughs> yeah. Just as a brief uh, aside, I, I am in some ways even guilty of that a little bit myself because even with Nina... She's, of course, the protagonist, a small, strong female character, but she's like the only female character in the whole book. <laughs> and it's easy to, to do that, even so if you have the protagonist, it's still kind of to let the rest of the thing become the status quo. Damn, I'm going to have to go back and just rewrite it. Because <laughs> uh, I'm just thinking about guys, but she, push, you know, she kind of pushes the men around, so I, I tend to think that they're chess pieces. Um, I tried to write, well, you know, being strong, independent woman, I guess you write what you know, mostly. Um, I tried to write Weather Child, which was set in the 1930s and 1940s, and I based it on my great-grandmother, my great-great-aunt, sorry, and um, I tried to make, it was hard for me to communicate strength in her that was appropriate to the period. Mm. So it, it sort of ended up being one of those stories where she starts off kind of in her little box and then sort of learns to become a weather witch, as you do when you're going <laughs> Talking about the fact that we don't see enough strong female representation out there, what would you want to tell a male writer to write more believable, stronger, more realistic women that have that balance of strength and fragility that everybody has, but more towards the strength? What would you tell a male writer? Um, just spend a bit more time trying to get into a woman's head. Um, it's easy to sort of write women as, okay, well, they're men with tits, obviously. Um, so they're going to all kind of, you know, have, have that whole mindset. Um, I've read some, some writers, some male writers that have done women very well, not too bad. And then I've done, read some that are like, Really? Why did you not bother? Why did you make that character a woman at all? We've just sort of just left it a man, you know? Mm. <laughs> That's As male is default. Yeah, yeah, male is default. Mm. It's like, oh, I'll just slap a sexy little cut top on her and she's a woman! <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just, I, when I'm writing male, I talk to men about, you know, what it's like to be a man. When I was writing the erotica about being a man, it was like, okay, so it's like. <laughs> I'd like to see some more men. like. Yeah. Which is a fun conversation. Yeah, it's a fun conversation. Sure. <laughs> I think basing it off of women you know rather than women in fiction would be the way that I would go. Like, I would, I would base, base characters off of, you know, women you've interacted with because women in so much fiction are just so wrong. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that the most common error along those lines is just sort of the assumption that to be strong is synonymous with being macho. Like, macho is the only way to be strong. Mm -hmm. And so, in order to write a strong female character, they essentially just try to have her act like a macho guy would act. She has to be tough, one of the guys, and, mm -hmm. you know, smoke and drink and, you know, swear. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's another uh, excellent example is uh, uh, often to have to make the female characters promiscuous is part of trying to make them, you know, in order to not be the pretty little virgin flower, they have to go all the way to the other extreme instead of 
being uh, like a mix of all sorts of things like everybody is. Which and, is more realistic. And I think, though, that often many of the authors that have that problem, though, can have the same problem with the male characters um, in terms of not knowing how to make the male characters be either, you know, a slimy little weasel or big, tough, honorable <laughs> warrior. Um, women are funny. The women at this table are incredibly funny. And how often do you see the class clown, the cla if you look at a class of characters, you know, you've got, you've got the hero, and I mean that uh, asexual, you've got the hero's best friend, who perhaps is a supporter, perhaps is a little bit of a contagonist, you know, they're, they're kind of working with you, but almost, they, they work against you oftentimes, like, uh, like Princess Leia, she's like, yeah, that's a stupid idea, yeah, we're both working together, but that's a stupid idea, things like that. But... And there's often the, the jester, the somebody who's funny, the somebody who is perhaps not sexual at all. And how often is that the woman? How often is that character a female? Never. Women are funny. We're not always looking to have babies. We're not always looking to have sex. We're not always looking for Madonna or whore. Sometimes we just want to make a joke, have people laugh, and then move on with the day. Thank you. And it's not, it's just almost never done. I mean, make the asexual person who's over here to be funny, make that a woman. It happens, really. It yeah. does. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> and sort of on a similar note, do you find that readers are more easily shocked when you portray sex or violence in your books or profanity? Because I know that that was... People had comment about playing for keeps, um, or in your photographs, Jr. Um, then they would be with a male artist or writer. And Pip, would you start? It's hard to say. Um, I I know there's sexism out there, and I know that people underestimate me because I look small and I look young and you know I've got a young sounding voice not right now <laughs> you've got con voice now too. yes it's very sexy yes. but um, it's it's and so I don't know if someone is looking at me and hearing me read my my stories and not wanting to hear me say fuck and and not wanting me to put words in men's mouths or women's mouths and say fuck I don't I don't know no one says girls should not talk like that I mean sexism is so much under the radar these days. Right. But I've, I've received lots of complaints about my swearing, and I'm like, well, before I had my child, my friends and I talked like this. We still do when the child's not brown. <laughs> and uh, so I'm just surprised to hear that. As of her side, well, that's just completely different than anything I've ever written before in my life, and I think we shot some people the other night. <laughs> but, Deliciously uh, so. <laughs> but uh, it's... Yeah, it's, it's interesting being underestimated, but I never know if it's because I'm a woman or because I look young or because people read the superhero funny book and don't realize that there's other things with knives and blood and sex. So um, I, I don't know. I really, I don't know. I don't know if it's, I don't know what it is, but I have had lots of complaints and I've thought about cleaning up some things, but I'm not going Puritan. I can't. I, I'm <laughs> People just think I'm a man. Um, they see a photo that they think is particularly violent, or they just think I'm a man. Um, I've gotten a lot of comments where I am my own girlfriend, or um, uh, I think there's a segment of people out there that think that I'm a gay man who's gay married to Jared Axelrod, which is kind of awesome. <laughs> 
So, I mean, you know, that, that's the assumption out there a lot that I get. Um, uh, there, there are also, I, I feel like people, I don't know if you, I, I, talking to other uh, female photographers, what we've noticed is we get, we get a lot more people, um, when we put our stuff out there on the net, we get a lot more people when they realize that we're women telling us what we should do and shouldn't do with our photography. Like, there's a lot of, have you ever seen the crop heres? Mm-hmm. The crop heres. They're like, always like around the boobs. They're like, hey, crop your photo here. You're like, ah. Mm. <laughs> so, um, and then there's a lot of people who are like, I don't know anything about photography, but honey, honey, mm. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, you don't know anything. So how about you shut up? Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people who want to offer it like helpful advice because you're a woman. Um, and they, and, and you they must need it because you're a helpless it. woman. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're also not a good girl. You need to be a good girl. I've seen your photography. You're not. I don't think there's any chance of you being a good girl. Sorry. Uh, Not a lot of what I've put out has really strong amounts of sex or violence, really. Although Space Casey did have some. Let's say innuendo. implications without <laughs> without being explicit per se but and, and so I do you know did get some uh, comments for that and I, I actually got one uh, significant extended blog review <laughs> where they were essentially explaining well clearly it just wasn't their thing okay and so this was not what they were looking for in an audio drama and that's fine but what kind of took me off guard was all of the things that I had left as innuendo and implications. They pretty much just filled in the, get, the blanks for and explained that that being in the audio drama is what they objected to, mm. which was kind of when I actually read through it and I'm like, wow, there's a lot of dirty stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I think that maybe even just the innuendo, the fact that I'm a, a woman, maybe puts a different spin on it, but it's not something that I've really experienced, like, specifically anything about me being a woman mm-hmm. and, and using that sort of thing. Do you think it might have been because Casey was a woman? I mean, it was uh, a really interesting scene. Well, there, there's more than just, I think, the one that you're probably thinking of, but... Yeah. The, um, so go listen, guys. You know you want to know. If you haven't heard it, you want to know what we're talking about. It's hot and dirty. <laughs> that may be a big part of it, too, is that in that case, it might have been less about me, the author, being a woman, and more about just the character and her reactions to some of those situations. Right. Seriously, Space Casey is possibly... I'll say, I think it's the funniest podcast out there. It is the funniest fiction podcast out there. <laughs> Download it. It's hysterical. It's the best thing. Now I need some tequila. (laughs) (laughs) This is me, tequila time. Um, I've never had any complaints. (laughs) (laughs) I I I worked my way up to saying bad words. 
and it's worked very well. Um, how, how do you mean work your way up? Well, I, when I started Eroshka a la carte, I was like, timid. Once. <laughs> I said it once. <laughs> and then after I said it once, I was like, I can say this as many times as I like on this <laughs> and, I, and then I thought, I know, I'll get other women to say it as well. <laughs> and I must, say, I must say, that's the best bit is, is, is the, the men on Erotica Relic Heart that I have that do it. That's all wonderful stuff. But I must say, every time I get a woman to write an erotic story and say bad words, I'm like, yes! <laughs> Come join me! Um, but no one's ever complained about the rest of my writing, or in fact, me saying the bad words, so. It's the accent. Wow. Know. Yeah, it's it the could accent. be. Rob's think, Rob thinks it's the accent. Mm, get away with it. <laughs> That's well, she's not a New York. Yeah, yeah right. she's not an American. I, I would so. like to point out that New Zealand was the first country in the world to give women the vote. So wow. we are. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I did it myself. And uh, we've also had two female prime ministers. So uh, women in New Zealand are known for being ballsy and you know in your face, pretty much from the word go. So. I think, yeah. Except for my mum when she found out that I was... <laughs> wow. Yeah, she found out. She was. I was sitting having dinner with them and my dad sort of looked at me and goes, so what's this erotica? I like heart. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, oh, it's just a podcast where I say, you know, so well. Yeah, it's, a, it's an erotica podcast. And my mum sort of goes, mm, well, at least it's not porn. <laughs> you okay, mum, whatever you say. Whatever gets you through the night. <laughs> That kind of broke my brain, but yeah, I can see making that little, okay, click. It's not porn, right. And JR, if I could ask you this question first, because we did have a conversation. Um, do you feel you've had any, and you're a unique case because of the pseudonym you use, but do you have, have you had any additional hurdles because you're a female author photographer when they discover that you're female? Which um, you sort of touched on. Yeah, yeah, I find that, uh, I find that um, female names have a harder time getting published. Um, and especially in sci-fi, um, and so a gender-neutral name is helpful. It's helpful to, to getting out there, and um, that's that's like that's like a little sad. And I found that when I talk to um, women about this, they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." And when I talk to men about this stuff, I'm like, "Really? Really? Be sure." Come on. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, no, no. I'm sure, you know. Um, so, I, yeah, I found that there, there are some... Can I at least point out that, I'm not disagreeing with you at all, but I, I would like to point out that this year's Nebulas had two males winning of all the things. Like, uh, Paolo won uh, Best Novel, and I believe the people who won the Ray Bradbury Award were male. Everything else was female. Kiz Johnson, um, uh, uh, Mary Robinick, no, she didn't win. Um, kind of what am I thinking? Anyway, it was all women. It was all women dominated the nebulas this year. I was so stoked about that. And if only we could get more women science fiction editors. Christiana? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, okay. I, <laughs> um, well, I don't know. I, I think it's possible that there maybe are some very specific subgenres like the paranormal romance where. You might have, uh, like, a female name might even be an edge over a male name in those yes. very specific yes. areas. But by and large, I think it's it's almost certainly true. And I mean, it, 
part of that might even just be it's kind of almost traditionally like there was more of a conscious bias for a long time and now it's just momentum um, and trying to change it is is harder um, but I don't know just in my own experience I feel like I don't know anyone who would consciously mm -hmm. see a female author and and say well I don't want to read that it's written by a woman I don't I'm sure there are people out there like that but I don't know any of them and so I think that the real mm -hmm. bias that's still there is largely an unconscious one and maybe that's at least some progress <laughs> it's harder to fight though that's true because you can't you can't point it out I mean if somebody looks and uh, if an editor's looking at a story and sees uh, uh, Betty Smith wrote this they're like some things are gonna click in their head of, of expectations or whatever and then they read the story and maybe those things would not click had they seen a male name but you can't prove any of that well maybe what we need is for female authors to have a male pseudonym but as soon as a reader picks up one of those books and goes to buy it, like there's a dye pack that explodes on the <laughs> says, ha, you just bought a book written by a woman. <laughs> it's a day glow, and it's like, oh my god, you bought a book. That's awesome. That's, it's interesting you say that. It's, it's just interesting what you say, because I've never worked with a man. I just realized that I've never worked with a single editor or marketing person or anybody that's been a man. And I'm just like, where... I just feel like I'm missing, I'm missing out. I'm like, you're missing out. Well, I'm, uh, that's not to say that women can't be sexist right. and say, oh, no, sometimes yeah. they're worse. Yeah, they're like, yeah. I mean, the ones that I've worked with have been, I just think I've been, been lucky, but I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's out there. I think yeah. some people think that they are the ones who have risen above the typical weakness of femininity to excel. And mm. so they see themselves as men's equals, but they don't perhaps mm. see other women as... And a lot of the editors that are up there, they get up there and they stay there for like 20 years. <laughs> and they kind of probably forget yeah. what's going on yeah. in the trenches. So, yeah. I mentioned earlier my best friend's daughters as being one of my you know, reasons to want to get more brilliant female voices out there. And I talk about them a lot because they really inspired me in some ways too. They just turned 15 and 17 and both last years, the last two years they did NaNoWriMo, the contest to write 50,000 word novel in a month and they both won for both years. So I told them that I'm going to be interviewing these four fantastic authors and I asked if they had any questions being young budding writers that they would want to ask. And so I have a few of those and then we'll go to audience questions. One of the questions was, do you have any great guy characters? If yes, how do you write for them? Whoever wants to I, start. <laughs> I, uh, one of my favorite characters is Ian from Playing for Keeps. Mm. Uh, he is uh, based largely on a friend of mine. His just typical, his, his uh, uh, sort of slack look at the world, his relaxed and his humor, and it's largely based on a friend of mine. Um, a, a lot of, yeah, I just try to look at, at men that who have distinctive personalities and try to pay, I don't try to car carbon copy them, right. but, you know, I just take what I see around me. Um, in Nina Kimberly the Merciless, I really only have one male character who is a human male who is not a ridiculous caricature. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, 
Tyranin is a male character, and uh, but he's also a dragon, and so <laughs> kind of sidestep any possible uncanny valley that there might be. <laughs> Anything that might feel a little unusual about his character is like, well, he's a dragon. <laughs> but uh, with the character of William, he was actually the character that was the hardest for me to write, and I, I really didn't even feel like I had a good handle on his character until probably into the third draft. And uh, I really feel like I did eventually get a handle on him, and I'm, and I'm proud of the way that character was written, um, but it was, it was difficult, and I think it really just took a lot of iteration and just trying to imagine the same scene from his point of view, even though he's not the point of view character, um, and try to just say, okay, well, what is it that he's looking to do in the scene what is it that he wants to have happen uh and you know what are his goals and to some extent too i think if you get too hung up on just the idea of you know it's a guy character how do you do that well who is that character not all guys are the same so write that character not a guy character so find out who he is and write that not worried so much just about the fact that he's a guy. Um, I, I read a study recently that, that uh, gave a questionnaire to a bunch of women, uh, some of them self-identified feminists and some of them not, and they found that the, the women who self-identified as feminists um, had a higher opinion of men than the women who didn't. Um, so I, I love men, and um, I'm married to a man. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I love men. I'm fascinated by men the same way I love women, and I'm fascinated by women. And so um, writing them is just, writing for men is just a delight. And photographing them is a delight, too. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just thinking, uh, I think my favorite character for my, any of my stories is actually Jack from Weather Child. Because he was based on my grandfather, who was just the most fabulous, funny, funny guy that I ever ever knew, and he'd he'd been to in World War Two, and you know it scarred him. So when I went back and wrote Jack, even though it was World War One, I, I was able to sort of identify and get into his story rather than yeah, yeah, so Billy. Uh, <laughs> I didn't get so much of the problem. It was like, well, you know what what it affected him, what had happened to him, um, all of that sort of stuff, and basing him off somebody that. I really loved. Yeah. How do you? And this is from this, from her sister, her younger sister. So this is from a fifteen year old, and she's she's struggling with editing now, because I told her since they since they wrote their nanorimos that my husband and I we were so excited we're going to publish them for them we're going to like create this whole little house and have a logo and hold the whole do the whole thing for them get them all excited so now the younger sister is just in panic trying to edit. And so her question was, how do you edit? Do you read through several times and just edit here and there? Do you do a complete rewrite on a lot of things? Or do you let other people read and make suggestions? What would you tell her as far as helping her with editing? Well, she's 15, so I wouldn't say start with vodka, but that's my choice. That's right. I usually read it through. I, I put it away. And I don't look at it for like as long as possible, and then I forget about how much it sucks. And then I go back into it, and I sort of feel a bit better about hacking it to pieces. And I, I read it aloud a lot and get a sore voice, and it's kind of like going to a con. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I do a couple of passes over it. 
Yeah, I generally uh, write a rough draft of something, whether it's a flash fiction. Right now, I'm working on the novel, so um, I'm, I write it through without any editing whatsoever. I just, I just write, 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 and I don't look back. Um, I write forward, um, even if I really hate what I'm doing or I don't think it's like the best um, thing. I just write to get to the to the goal, and then I go, and then I think, then I look at the whole thing and I say to myself. What's this about? Who are these people? What makes this story the strongest? Because seeing things as a whole is so, so, so different than seeing things in, in little pieces and trying to make the pieces perfect as they go along. Because you can make the whole thing the best it can be. So that's what I generally do. I go through the whole, whole thing. Uh, I definitely agree with uh, Pip in saying that once you've finished it, set it aside for a little while, uh, because when you're so close to it, you've just finished writing, it's it's that classic figure of speech of you can't see the forest for the trees, mm -hmm. and you can get so caught up in these individual little nitpicking sort of things that you can really just lose any sense of perspective, um, and then that's when it starts to seem insurmountable. Um, but I also, and this is just something that works for me, I, I usually write on the computer, and so when I'm editing, at least once I will print it out and do like an edit with a pen, just because it, it's enough tangibly different an experience that I'm able to think about the story in a slightly different way. Um, of course, with a novel-length work, that's a lot of paper, but um, at the same time, uh, I think... Uh, giving a story to a few beta readers uh, can be very helpful too, uh, especially if there are specific parts of the story that you're, you know, it's like, you know, will this work? Are people going to be able to figure this out? Or is it too confusing? That sort of thing. I was actually looking at. Um, I let Holly Lyle uh, pimp her workshops on my site because I think she really does an amazing job and she's doing um, uh, how to revise your novel right now. And I know I, I'm not going to give away all her trade secrets because that would be rude, but one thing I, I did notice is um, you want to look at what you wanted to do when you started writing it. What was your goal? And then when you look at the end, you think about what you wanted the story to be. Because it's probably going to change from beginning to end. And then look at those two and compare them. And you really do need to look at it from a big picture point of view, like Christiana said. And then um, also, this doesn't apply specifically to her because she's done writing, but make notes as you go along for things you want to change. Don't change them, just make a note saying, no, I think I'm going to change this here and keep writing the story from as if I had been writing it with this character doing X or Y. So those are um, those are a couple of things, and you know, don't just don't, don't get discouraged, and don't get hung up in the editing. You know, edit it once or twice, give it to somebody to read, and then start on your next thing. Gotcha. Any questions for our authors? <coughs> uh, back in the 1970s, there was a researcher named Catherine Roseman who did research on women in the corporate world at the time, and she came up with four stereotypes that she found women were forced to fit into. One of them being the Iron Maiden, the seductress, the mother, or the pet. Do you see those four stereotypes showing up in fiction today, or are there new ones? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
think there's definitely the uh, tomboy slash one of the guys. Um, that can definitely be a new stereotype. I can think of a lot of our Iron Maidens. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying to to think of another one. Is there something, something different? Uh, any other questions? Yes, Chris. Um, given how much of what's out there that purports to have strong female characters ends up with writing many tits, um, who do you think is doing it well? Who do you think is really showing strong female characters that are preserving femininity and strength? Gail Carriger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Gail Carriger. Uh, one thing I love about her book, Soulless, is her character would probably be Buffy the Vampire Slayer in the future, but that's not the time period, and that is not what women do. She kicks ass. She doesn't let anybody push her around, but she keeps to societal norms. And it didn't piss me off. <laughs> it, was, it was just so beautifully crafted that she does her upper-class society thing, does not let the vampires and the werewolves push her around, but she does not go out and slay. That's not what ladies do. And so she just did this beautiful thing of a very strong character who was not buff, kick-ass physically. But um, it, it was just, it was refreshing to see that, you know, Buffy is awesome, and she is a good character, but that that stereotype is new. Of, okay, well, let's let's... To make women stronger, let's give them superpowers and have them destroy things. I mean, that's it, it was cool, but we don't all need to go down that road. So I, I, I highly recommend Gail. And she's here, and she'll be here tonight, and I should be writing live. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think uh, China Mievel has some great female characters. Oh, yeah. um, in fact, I, I just finished reading uh, just last week The City and the City, which has no not a lot of... Um, prominent living female characters, but sort of one of the central mysteries of the book is a woman who's been murdered, and you learn more and more about her life over the course of the story, and she becomes sort of a really interesting character who, you know, was ultimately killed, so she had kind of a tragic character arc, but she turned out to be a really interesting person. Um, recently I've been reading a series, uh, it's a manga, it's called Yatsuba. Uh, um, and it's about a little girl in Japan uh, named Yatsuba, who uh, is, is very adventurous and adorable. And um, what's great about that character is that since she's so small, she's like four years old, she's not really attached to any sort of gender norms yet. Um, she just exists as a child who's adventurous and excited. And it's really great to see a female character you know, exist like that and lots of fun. I already said this one. <laughs> she took mine. <laughs> Do we have more questions? Yes, Jim. I'm curious as to what you think about a character like Hermione Granger in the Harry Potter books. It starts off as being sort of an annoying know-it-all, but it also throughout the book, the series of books is kind of the voice of reason <laughs> when Harry and Ron are about to go over the edge. And she also has her own toughness and a lot of vulnerability as well. I wonder what you thought of the way uh, that character was going to be. Well, she's quite intellectual, isn't she? She's the smart one. 
which is always nice to see in a book. <laughs> well, honestly, uh, in the first few books, she is certainly more, it's the, the characterization is more shallow than it became mm. later, and yet it didn't bother me in the sense that I actually sort of really identified, because at that age, I was like that. I was the, you know, the, the know-it-all goody-two-shoes who always had the hand up and was trying so hard and didn't understand why she wasn't more liked for it. And so I really identified with that, even though it was kind of a more shallow characterization at first. But then I think uh, the character really evolved over the course of the books, and I, I really think she turned into a pretty interesting character. The weird thing I feel about Hermione Granger, I, I like her very much, but it's like Harry was never the smartest, and yet Harry <laughs> solved most of the the, the puzzles and the things that came up. And at some at, at some point, Hermione's even like, oh, I just have cleverness, Harry. You know, I'm just like, what? But you're the smartest one. Yeah. You know, it's, I know it's not your story, and so you can't take over, but there are some times when she just kind of throws, and she doesn't play stupid girl, but she's just kind of like, my intelligence will not help us here. It's like, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> you're a wizard. You know, I mean, doesn't the, the intelligence move toward doing better magic, more to be stronger magic, better wizard? I mean, yes, it's his story, but you're just, you should, you're right there. <laughs> Plus 10 on intelligence. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, sorry. This is not about Hermione specifically, but it just made me think of uh, another recent female character who's sort of a non-traditional in many respects, but I really liked is actually Eve from Wally. Yes. Um, obviously, she's a robot, so it's. Uh, <laughs> but it, I thought what was great about that is that first of all, she had a mission. She had a job to do, and while she still, you know, cared about this cute but mostly harmless little robot that's kind of following her around, her priority was the job. And then even once she got on the ship and like she discovers, oh no, he's stowed away. She's like, I don't know, keep him out of the way so I can get him home but I've still got my job to do, and then everything starts going wrong, and she starts to care for him, but still, she she had multiple layers of what she cared about and what she was trying to have happen, because she had larger priorities than finding a nice little robot to settle down with. <laughs> but at the same time, once she started to discover that, that meant something to her, too, and that created a nice sense of conflict. I thought that was a great character. Um, you saying that reminds me of um, something else, and, and sort of in connection with the Hermione Granger character, which I, I, I really like Harry Potter, and I like Hermione Granger, and she's a great character, but I think that a character that is often overdone with women is the mom character. The one who's like, you guys, don't do that, you're so crazy, I'm really, I'm really tired of women being in that character, especially if the character is not actually a mother. Like, uh, I know that, like, becoming a mom has you, like, may maybe, or a parent at all, has you maybe look at things in a little different way, feeling a little bit more protective, but the young women I know are not like that. <laughs> the most of the young women I know as young women are the one who's like, let's go dancing. The guys are like, I don't know, that seems a little crazy. And they're like, dancing! <laughs> I mean, how often have you seen some young woman dragging some young man off to do something? I see that a lot. And the opposite way, but those women aren't in fiction so much. 
I have a comment on Hermione as well. I think that the fact that she went from being, I think she had a natural social growth progression. You know, she had a certain life, then she goes to the school, and she's more socialized probably than she may have ever been before among people that have powers similar to hers. So I think it was kind of one of those things where she felt, yes, I'm a student and I'm going to study all this, I'm going to raise my hand first, but it was also people like her in common with, you know, powers and such that um, she let herself open up and become more social, which showed the growth that she had. So that's my opinion. Anybody else have any questions? Yes, dear. What do you think of the trios that often appear in stories? Like, sometimes it's like the, it's the trio of best friends. Sometimes it's, like in Harry Potter, it's boy, boy, girl. In Buffy, it was girl, girl, boy. Um, what do you think of that? How that characterizes the girls, how that characterizes the guys? Well, it's a nice way of introducing conflict if you have a, tri have a trio. <laughs> yeah. And it gives you, you know, a selection of relationships to bounce off. Um, in my book, I've got a girl and two boys <laughs> at a certain point. Um, <laughs> Which chapter? <laughs> I'm reading it down right now. <laughs> um, it, it's it's fine. It's an interesting way of exploring dynamics of relationships. And I, when I was growing up at university and stuff, I was in a yeah uh, <laughs> interesting trio dynamic thing that kind of ended up in a disaster. Uh, <laughs> so conflict, yay! <laughs> well, I, I think you're absolutely right that a lot of the time it's it's not a, really a gender thing at all as much as just. Three people is a very practical, it's, you know, you can easily get to know three people in a story uh, without it starting to feel like there's too many people, I don't know what's going on. Um, but whereas two people might at some point attain some sort of a stable sort of a relationship over the course of a story, with three people there's always going to be some little seesawing tension because... There's never this, you never see the three people in perfect harmony it's because it just, it's a convenient number of people. Uh, whereas, like, if you go to four, you can end up with two pairs, and that's a little bit more awkward. Uh, whereas three, I think, is just this convenient little balancing act that allows for lots of different scenarios. Geodesic Socially <laughs> Did everyone like my little, like... I was hypnotized. Did anybody else want an answer to that question before I go to the next question? That's going to carry across on the audio. Um, no, I, yeah, it's, uh, it, it can create sexual tension or friend tension, depending on what you're going for. And um, it, it, it's fun to play with jealousy as well. Even if it's just, like, three people who aren't sexually attracted to each other, you know, you... Everybody wants that one person you can confide in. And if there's two, it's kind of nice, but then you wonder, okay, well, are they confiding in each other? Crap. And so it's, it is, you know, I really, I don't have anything to add. You guys said it perfectly. I don't know what I'm talking about. It just reminded me. It's a microphone. I'm going to go. It just reminded me of, of when I was like eight years old, I had two best friends. Yes, and one was a girl and one was a boy. And I remember particularly like, okay, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm going to hang out with you. And 
but he's got an extra day. You know, it's that kind of interesting tension. My daughter's already planned who's going to be the minion when she's an evil son. <laughs> I'm gonna marry Matthew, and then Olivia's gonna live with us, and she's gonna be my minion and help me in the lab. <laughs> and, and Matthew's gonna help in the lab too. Yeah, like, obviously. I don't know if Matthew and Olivia are gonna go on with this. You go on with your plans. I'm not bothering them. <laughs> Chris. One thing that I just wanted to play off of that. One of the cool things that you can do as a as a writer that a lot of writers do, maybe to the point where it's an overused trope is that you have your hero with their two friends. One person, the hero is the, the ego, the decider. The uh, two friends, one of them represents the logical side of the argument, the other represents the emotional side of the argument. And so you have these two characters who externalize the conflict and the decision-making process within the person, the hero's own mind. And you know, traditionally, a lot of times what they would do it, when they had you know, those, those two helper characters in opposite genders, the girl would be the emotions and the guy would be yeah. reason. In Harry Potter, it's she switched. flips them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's something that almost is, is almost so common that it transcends cliche and just becomes completely transparent and people don't even notice how common it is. I mean, you know, Star Trek does yeah. that. Um, you know, Harry Potter, Buffy, you know, I mean... There's so many examples of that sort of thing, and but I think it's almost, it's so uh, so much at the fundamental level of storytelling that it's almost not really a trope or a cliche as much as just like a, like a storytelling structure almost. Well, I think, are we out of time? I think we're coming up against it. I want to thank you wonderful ladies. I want to thank the audience for coming. And as Mer mentioned, I should be writing live. If you have interest in women writing or writing or anything at all, it's going to be really interesting tonight. So I recommend you come. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Girls Rules. You can find information, comment on episodes, and subscribe to the podcast at girlsrules.org. You can contact me by email at girlsrulespodcast at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 717-347-8537. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 license, you are free to make copies and share this podcast to your heart's content, just not modify or make money from it. Theme music is provided by Emma's Many, found on magnatune.com.